Hello, and welcome to The Blueprint, lifestyle design podcast, unpacking and applying creative design principles to help you live your maximized life. And now, ready to help you design and build your ultimate awesome future, here's your host, Andrew Lord. Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Blueprint. We have a special milestone today, episode number 70. I'm really proud of that one. I want to say thank you to all of you people out there who have been following me, who have been tuning in, listening. Hope you are getting plenty of value out of this podcast. Today, we're doing something really special to celebrate, and that is we are inviting a dear friend of mine, Lloyd Godson, someone who I've been through the trenches with in education Uh, We've come out the other side and in the process, he's been involved in helping me to birth a number of the programs that uh, are the signature programs for Blueprint Education Solutions. And that is uh, the Young Entrepreneurs Program, which has since become Passion to Profit, sponsored by TAFE, and also the Adventure Quest Program, very popular program here in our local area of Port Macquarie. We're also going to be talking about project space and and design thinking on this episode. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. But let me introduce you to Lloyd. He has worked and studied in the Bahamas, in Greece, in Canada, in Germany, in Denmark, Indonesia, New Zealand, Antarctica, would you believe, and also, of course, Australia. He has a string of recognitions and awards. I'm not going to go through all of those because it would uh, take up half the podcast if I did that. Some of the most notable ones are the Guinness World Records for generating the most human power by human underwater. Uh, He has created the world's first ever self-sustaining underwater habitat. He has been nominated the Australian Geographic Adventurer of the Year. He is the winner of the Australian Geographic $50,000 Live Your Dream Wildest Adventure Competition. He has recently featured on the 7.30 report uh, on ABC TV. He's won numerous teaching awards as well. But more important than that, he is warm, he is kind, he's a big thinking man with a passion to live life to the full and also expand his impact through education. Lloyd, welcome to The Blueprint. Thanks, Andrew, for having me, mate. Cool. So when you read through all that, it's it's super impressive. You know, you've got this string of uh, achievements and accomplishments that you've done. It's also lots of fun. It's all going off in multiple different directions and uh, lots of underwater themes going on there. But um, you've done so many different things. What's what's the inspiration behind that? Like what's what drives all of that? Yeah, I've just always been a really creative person from a really young age. I've always been a little bit different. <laughs> and <laughs> I was fortunate enough to have parents that kind of nurtured that from an early age. Um, but I remember getting up to all kinds of weird and wacky things from, um, yeah, as young as like five years old. Um, most of my friends and their parents found me pretty quirky going through high school. I just, yeah, I was a creative and a dreamer, I guess. And, um, like I said, that's sort of being my, my dad in particular nurtured that and uh, always encouraged me to try and live those dreams, no matter how weird they might've seemed. Um, and I just have this, feel like I have this inner desire to do things differently. Yeah, cool. I noticed on your website that there's a, a quote from your dad that says, if you can dream it, do it. And uh, I remember you telling me once that he was the one that sort of got you into to trail running. Tell us a bit more about your dad and you know your upbringing. 
Yeah, we grew up in a small town um, known as the Barefoot Godsons, never wore shoes and just kind of roamed freely around the neighbourhood, getting up to all kinds of mischief, coming home and more hungry. Um, yeah, Dad was a bit of a quirky character himself um, and he did every night. He would sit by my bed when I was a kid and listen to my dreams and aspirations and then he'd finish off the thing by, you know, if you dream it, you can do it, which I think is a Walt Disney quote. Um, but uh, it's sort of always stuck with me and I think it's runs fairly true mm. um yeah and dad he sort of um yeah he was <laughs> one person that I always turned to when I was trying to decide what path to take because you know he sort of always got to the bottom of just follow what you want to do go with your heart kind mm. of thing and doesn't matter what other people think do what makes you happy um he never pressured me into doing anything to please any anyone else but myself. Hmm. Do you think it's that authenticity that you bring that makes you, um, you know, attractive to other people? I've, I've mentioned in the, the show notes that, um, you know, you've been on the 730 report, you've, you're part of a live exhibit under in the underwater world at Germany you know, TV, radio, all sorts of things. I always go to you when I'm thinking of writing a grant application because I know you know how to, you know, generate um, positive media. Do you think it's that authenticity that um, that appeals to people? Yeah, I think that's definitely one part of it. Um, so, yeah, authenticity is, uh, I would say, half of the story and the other half, I would say, is a, a childlike passion for what I do. Mm. Um, I think... Um, Usually when I've made up my mind to do something, I, I tackle it with this infectious kind of childlike passion I'm doing it. and yeah, and that rubs up on people. And, uh, usually you bring along all the other people who, um, get infected by that childlike passion along for the ride. Of course you get all the naysayers who, you know, you leave those behind, but, um, I think that's a huge part of it. And if I can, I'll just give you a quick example of where that's sort of helped me and where I first kind of realized just how much passion plays a part in these kind of things. Um, you mentioned one of the awards was Live Your Dream Wildest Adventure Competition and it was a $50,000 prize, so fairly substantial for Australian Geographic at the time. And uh, I, was, um, final, I was in the finals, I was down to two people and when I got to Sydney to present to this panel, and it was a pretty daunting panel mind you, it was explorers and people like, you know, Dick Smith, the founder of Australian Geographic and um, the first the first person from Australia to summit Everest without oxygen. And, you know, it was fairly daunting for a young fella to walk into this room and try and sell his project. And I'd never done this kind of thing before. It was always like a, a dream of mine to do something like that. And when I got there, I had props and I presented this project with like 100% I'm guarantee you I can pull this thing off. Like I know I can do this and it's going to be awesome. And I showed them the props and what I was going to do and how I was going to get people from NASA involved and blah, blah, blah. And um, by the end of the, um, it was about a 45 minute interview, kind of left the room feeling really, really nervous, but I'd made them all laugh. I'd had a great time in there and I just gave it my all. And um, then they called the other guy in and then they, sent us both into another room where they adjudicated who they were going to deliver the prize to. And they pulled me back in and they said, look, before you came up here, you were 
you were second and we actually thought the money was going to go to the other project. Um, but today you've managed to change everyone's mind with your passion and enthusiasm and you've convinced us all that you can do this project. Wow. And um, so we're giving you the $50,000 prize. And it was kind of, they all had sort of half made up their mind that mm. it was going to go the other way. And it was just through that one presentation and just, I guess that authentic, meeting the authentic Lloyd with all that passion was able to persuade them to change their minds in the other direction, which I thought was pretty powerful. And that's kind of stuck with me from that day forward. Yeah, that's cool. And, um, I'm just thinking of you in the classroom, you know, your, your students get to get to see that, uh, is that why you got into education? You know, you wanted to share that, that passion with uh, young people. Yeah, it was kind of a funny journey into education because um, I originally had no intention of becoming a teacher. Um, I, I liked working with young people and it wasn't until I did that first underwater project that I thought, hey, why don't I take some students along for the ride here, right through the design process, the build process to me living underwater. And I invited... Um, a few teachers to get involved with their students. I contacted the South Australian government who were doing a trial of um, software like what we're using now. But back then, um, this was quite revolutionary. So, you know, talking to kids out in the desert via um, video conferencing. Uh, and along that way, I just met a whole stream of awesome teachers who got me thinking, I guess, about what education could look like. Um, mm. I was only basing my decision not to be a teacher on my experience at school, which wasn't bad, but it wasn't overly inspiring either. So, um, but then seeing some of these um, teachers doing incredible things with their students, getting involved with this project, I was like, oh, maybe that's a, a nice career path down the road. So I sort of moved from an informal education role into a more of a formal educator and trying my best to bring in that that passion for things into the classroom and out of the classroom. That's probably one of the biggest things I try and do. Do you still consider yourself a formal educator? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yes, <laughs> formally I am an educator. I have the, the formal qualifications now. I don't think the qualifications have made me a better educator necessarily. Mm. Um, I think it's more the experiences, the lived experiences and interacting with um, teachers from all around the world and the things that they're doing with their students. That's what has really shaped the teacher that I am today, not not the material that I covered in university. Yeah, yeah. When I look at you, I, I think of an education innovator, you know, and someone who does uh, things very, very differently. Um, and, and that's that's part of your brilliance. And so I guess not getting um, trapped inside that stereotype of, of uh, formal education is part of what we um, talk about here on, on this podcast. Um, you've been a pioneer of the Nature School, which is popular here in Port Macquarie, but it's also got people curious about that mode of education from all over the place. Um, can you just tell us a bit about that process and how it started? Yeah, so that process started, um, my wife and I were living in 
Greece with our first child, Oliver. We moved back to Australia um, and we started considering, uh, we moved back to Australia. It was the start of the global financial crisis and we wanted to, you know, give Oliver the best start we could in life. And we thought, well, let's go back to Australia. Uh, we started looking into to schools and things like that here in Port Macquarie. And I just thought that um, outdoor uh, nature-based education was something that was missing, not just in Port Macquarie, but um, across the country, really. There's my, there was a few examples of schools doing it really well and um, sort of pioneering um, in that field. But we, um, together with a few locals, got together on the beach one afternoon, we're having a picnic and discussing this exact topic and then decided, well, let's just do something about it. So we, um, we formed a nonprofit association, had that incorporated. We spoke to council, we got a placemaking grant, which was all about reconnecting families to land that was underutilized in the town. Um, we proposed an early years outdoor education program using that land and that was Mahogany Hill. Um, then it just kind of grew. Families uh, saw the benefits in their children. Um, they started talking to us about, would you consider starting a primary school? We explored what that meant in terms of what does it mean to start a school? How much work's involved? Do we have the capacity? We started it once, but then we decided to um, park it for another year until we built up that capacity a little bit more. The community wasn't quite large enough at that point. And uh, then the following year, we lodged an application to commence the primary from, it was um, kinder year one. And uh, now we're, it's, well, the nature school is kinder up to year five and it's just, will grow to year six. And as announced uh, in the media recently, it will launch a secondary school. Mm, yeah, very exciting. Yeah. Um, so... For those of you listening uh, who are familiar with some of my programs, you would have heard of the Adventure Quest program. I should mention that some of the work that Lloyd and I did together at, at another school was some of the foundation for uh, the Adventure Quest program. I'm going to put a link uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast for you to go and uh, check that one out. Make sure you, you do do that. One of the other programs that uh, I run is called Project Space, and that is based on, you know, doing projects with kids. And Lloyd's already mentioned that. Lloyd, can you tell us, you know, what's been one of your favorite projects that you've done with kids? I know there's been heaps um, over the years, and it could be, you know, a trip or it could be um, anything. You know, what's been one of the standouts for you? Oh, I think probably uh, I did a design for change project with some students when I first started at my current school. Um, that kind of stood out because it was my first, um, I guess it was my first project in a public school setting. And um, I was sort of exploring what was possible. And I signed up for this design for change. It's an international organization empowering uh, young people to make change in their communities going through the design process. Um, and they keep it fairly simple. It's a four step process of feel, imagine, do and share. And every year they do the sharing part by hosting an international conference and it's in a different country every year. And the entire conference is run by children. Uh, you don't see an adult on stage the entire time. Um, 
only right at the end when they bring the founder of Design for Change up to say some closing remarks. But the conference, from the moment you're there, you get you're greet you're greeted by young people, young as primary school, um, and all the presenters on stage throughout the conference are all um, either primary or uh, lower secondary. And so a team of students from our school um, came up with a pet therapy project and went through that FIDS um, process, shared it with the school and the community, and they were selected as the Australian winners and were offered a um, free trip to Taiwan to go and present their work on this stage. And there was uh, I think there was over a thousand young people from all around the world in this massive hall and they made the kids feel like superheroes. You know, they had, uh, every child had a poster of themselves blowing up. It was about two oh, meters wow. long and That's they were so cool. all around the outside of the um, hall, <laughs> all on the walls. And so, and it would have their name, where they were from. And so you could walk around and the kids were finding themselves and seeing, you know, first time in their <laughs> life they've ever seen a two meter <laughs> A poster of themselves blowing up and meeting meeting other um, young people from literally every country you could think of. You know, it was incredible. And they'd all been through this process and it was just incredible to see um, what's possible when given those opportunities, I guess. Yeah, no, that's really cool and such a great story. Every person who, you know, is doing what you are doing and seeking to live an authentic life and, you know, stepping out of the box and potentially ruffling some feathers along the way is going to experience some resistance. They're going to experience some challenges along the way. And in the course that I'm running, Launch Your Passion Project, we're just sort of at the phase where we're talking about resistance. Now, what are some of the big challenges that you have faced along the way or times where you have felt, you know, am I doing the right thing or, you know, a little bit? Uh, isolated in the process yeah this one's really big for me because I'm quite a sensitive person and um, I probably don't take criticism very well like it affects me a lot you know if I feel like I'm not doing something well but I think when you throw your hat in the ring to do one of these you know something that's going to put you in public eye or it's going to draw a lot of attention um, you are going to cop a lot of comments, good and bad, uh, mm -hmm. criticisms or people that have got a differing opinion. And um, it's something that I've, I've still got a lot of work to do in this area, but I have gotten better as I've gotten older to ignore, <laughs> ignore the naysays and the critics and just focus on what it is I'm trying to achieve and focus on the positives. Um, you know, and when I uh, first did that biosub project, the underwater habitat one that you mentioned earlier, um, there's a lot of people that when I would be seeking support from businesses in the community, a lot of people would be saying, why, why do you want to do that? And they, they just couldn't make sense of what I was trying to achieve and what it was all about and why I'd want to do that and just get a real job and uh, stop <laughs> wasting my time kind of thing. Yeah. And it could get pretty demoralizing, but then occasionally you'd bump into someone and I remember this one guy in particular, David, who owned a um, shipping container business. And I walked in and told him my idea and you could just see his eyes just like lit up. And <laughs> he was like, right, what can I do to help this young man? And he's opening up containers and pulling out scrap steel. And we ended up making the whole habitat on his site using his scrap steel that he donated. And he donated oh, cool. a, um, 
some labor in the welding of it all. Um, but yeah, it's uh, every every big project like that, you it's sort of you're going to have people that don't share your vision and your enthusiasm for it. And especially on the internet these days, I can't imagine how that would have affected me 20 years ago trying to do something like that. Um, you know, trying not to read all the the comments and things on on posts about it. You know, I was fortunate enough when I started all this social media. I don't know if it was non-existent, but if it was, it was very, very, played a very small part in our lives. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's probably been sort of the biggest learning curve for me is just dealing with um, those kind of criticisms. Negative and, comments. Yeah, negative comments. And like I said, I am a sensitive person and it's just kind of learning how to um, focus on the positives and focus on what you're trying to achieve and not about pleasing everyone and pleasing other people that goes back to what my dad was trying to teach me is do it for yourself and for your reasons and you know don't worry about what other people think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. what advice would you give to someone who is in that space where they're thinking about stepping outside the box a little bit it, whether it be in education or just you know maybe they've got some expertise that they feel that they want to bring to the world um, you know, what advice would you give to them? Um, probably a few key points would just be celebrate um, the small successes along the way. Mm. Um, that's really important because I was listening to a presentation recently by Dr. Adam Fraser. I don't know if you've come across his work, but he, he has a book called Strive and he talks about being in that zone between achieving your your goal and where you are now and that part where you're growing and learning is what he calls the strive zone. Mm. And that's where people are at their, their happiest. Um, you know, like quite often he talks about when you, you finish the project or the big goal, people often enter this um, downward spiral where they start feeling a bit bummed out and negative and depressed. And yeah, you know, you're like, oh, I've done that. And, you would think, you know, it's like, oh, I've done this amazing thing. I should be super excited and happy, mm -hmm. but actually quite the opposite happens. And so he talks about being in that that strive zone and mm -hmm. so setting yourself lots of little goals along the way, celebrating those. And as long as you're continuing to grow and you can see that growth and celebrate mm -hmm. that growth, then um, you can keep that positive feeling going. Yeah. The other one I would say is... Um, like patience and just take your time. This is not going to happen overnight. And mm -hmm. um, although, you know, there's plenty of stories out there where someone's achieved something and it feels like, you know, they've gone from from an unheard of to a celebrity overnight or whatever, you know, generally these things take a lot of hard work and, and a lot of patience and dedication. So you've really got to stick at it, you know, consistently. And then you have to believe it's possible from the very beginning. If you start a project where you're doubtful in your mind that you can pull this off, then probably you won't. Mm. And um, I've seen that. I've had plenty of projects fail, by the way. I've had, you know, a few successes that have been really good, but I've also had lots of projects that have just fallen over and haven't really even started. And when I look back, I think the the reason that those ones um, didn't succeed like the other ones is because I my heart wasn't in it. I didn't believe um, as strongly that I could do it or I just wasn't in the right frame of mind for it. But 
I know that I could have done it. If I think back, I'm like, yeah, I could have done that. It's just, um, yeah, the mindset wasn't there for that particular project. And I'm, perhaps I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. So um, mm. I would say just be authentic and in what you do and why you're doing it. Mm. Make sure yeah. it's for the right reasons. That's good advice. Thanks for that, Lloyd. So you've done lots of very cool things. Um, what does success mean for you? Like how do you define success for you in your personal journey? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's another, yeah, another interesting question. I think um, a friend of mine, we're talking about winning the lottery one day and, mm. um, you know, what we would do if we won the lottery and would it be different to what we're doing now? And I was referencing, I think it was a nurse and her husband, who's also a nurse in Sydney that recently won a lot of money uh, in the lottery and they decided to keep on doing what they were doing. They kept on being nurses because they absolutely loved it. Mm. And I thought to me that sort of defined success, yeah. um, that they're both got a lot of purpose in their work. They love what they do. They wouldn't change what they, they're doing. If they won $80 million in the lottery, they would still be doing what they do because they, they love it. And I thought mm, that's probably a pretty good way of um, defining a successful life. I think mm -hmm. when you're, uh, so yeah, quite often now I ask myself that question, like what would I do if I, if I won the lottery, would it be doing what I'm doing now? And if not, what would it look like? And how can I get there? And, you know, sort of <laughs> trying, because I, I never, I've never been driven by, by money in my life, in my career. Um, it's a good I've, question though. Like it coaches you towards the, the outcome that you're looking for. Yeah. And so then it's like, well, if money wasn't an issue, what would it be that I'd be doing right now? And if I'm not doing it, why aren't I doing it? Or what steps am I taking to work towards that? Because then that's again, putting you back in that strive zone of having the big goal. That's my dream to be doing X. Um, mm. And I need to be, growing and striving towards that and whether that's doing you know retraining or short courses or whatever it might be to um head in that right direction so that's kind of how i've been viewing success lately and i guess gauging my own success as to mm. whether or not i'm in a place that i would consider my my lottery position or yeah. or whether i'm just um you know cruising in cruise control and yeah, yeah. And not really striving for anything. Do you think we sort of ebb and flow between the two? Like uh, I've noticed that a lot in my life. Um, you know, there's times where I cruise a bit and part of me is thinking, thank God. And then, then the other part of me gets sick of that and, and says, no, no, you need to step up. Yeah. Look, I think it's important to cruise sometimes. Um, for example, this year I've gone back to part-time mainly because I just found uh working full-time wasn't really working for me. Um, like I said earlier, I'm a creative person and I was just feeling like I wasn't having the time to just spend a day to let my brain think about new ways of doing things. Like I said, I've always liked doing things differently, um, but I wasn't getting the opportunity in my daily life to really think about those things. And so, uh, yeah, I've taken the Foot off the pedal let's say this year a little bit uh so that i can reassess and then set some new goals and then put the foot back down and 
yeah. see what's possible. So mm. yeah, for sure it does ebb and flow. And I think it's important to, to back off every now and then when required. Yeah. And I think that's something that we've all learned through this pandemic, you know, like, mm. um, apart from, you know, nature education, something I've been banging on about for a long time. And, um, and so have you, mm. um, and now we have, you know, um, leading authorities telling us that we need to be taking our lessons outside and spending more time outdoors. And, um, prior to that, it's sort of been, um, scoffed at a little bit in some, some arenas and yeah. considered like a little bit hippie or something <laughs> or just too hard or too hard. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's, um, hopefully there's been, a, there's definitely been a global, global movement towards, um, taking lessons outside and spending more time on physical exercise in nature. I'll tell you a funny story. My son, Oliver, he's in grade five and he's been doing persuasive writing at his school and he decided in the um this latest lockdown he wrote to his principal um a persuasive text about why he should why they should extend their two recesses by five minutes um he quoted Passy Salberg um quite a lot with his let the children play book and used some great great quotes and some research that backed up his case I uh, got some feedback from his classroom teacher, sent it off to the principal. And um, at the same time, he also sent Passy Salberg an email just saying, hey, I've been reading your book and I've used some of your research and quotes to convince my prin principal um, to extend their recesses by five minutes. Oh, that's cool. Um, he got a reply yesterday from Passy really? Salberg. Yes, and so he cool. um, endorsed his arguments. He read his persuasive texts and gave him some feedback and mm. gave him some additional research that he could use to um, take to the principal oh, wow. and um, supported his argument. And the principal and Hassi have a sense exchanged comments on Twitter about this. Um, <laughs> That's cool. This persuasive text. So he's now convinced his principal to um, give them an extra 10 minutes in the day for um, playtime based on all this research, which says that it improves academic performance in yeah, the classroom and all the other flow on benefits as well. So, yeah, that's really cool. That's so cool. So you talked a bit about, uh, you know, taking some time for yourself this year, figuring out what's next, what is next? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I've got a few things on the cards. The first one that's coming up, I guess, is, um, so it's not to do with education, um, but it's to do with my mental and, and physical health, I guess. And it's a unicycle expedition across Tasmania with my son. So we've been um, training. It was actually our first lockdown last year that we started learning to unicycle. And um, we've both sort of progressed from there. And we've got this plan to unicycle 480 Ks across Tasmania on, a, um, on two mountain unicycles. So that's sort of coming up hopefully in January. Um, a couple of other things I'm really passionate about, and I think um, are currently missing from the education space largely. There are a few case studies and examples of this popping up here and there. Um, one is circular economy. And so I would love to um, develop or work on, uh, I guess, 
educating students and staff and myself around um, the circular economy and what is it and how can we um, how can we come up with a school strategy that um, factors in circular economy? So that's something that um, my good friend Jody, who co-founded the Nature School with me, is currently doing as part of an MBA, hmm. and I'm really keen to to help her out on on that. It's coming up with a, a school strategy that incorporates circular economy, and the other thing is um, social entrepreneurship and hmm. Um, I'm really keen to get some programs going in the local region. I have had some discussions with Charles Sturt around um, introducing the Shark Tank eSchool program, which is, I think it originally started in Adelaide, but it's a semester long program for year 10 and 11 students, which uh, upon graduating, um, depending on where they do it, they're granted either ATAR points or um, subject credits at that university. Yeah. So. Uh, that's a couple of projects that I've sort of got um, in the pipeline at the moment. And obviously with Nature School um, progressing to secondary, um, our son will be the, uh, he's in year five currently, so he'll be one of the first students to go into that. So I'm um, eager to, to help out and see, yeah. He'll be one of the pioneers. Yeah, well, he was a pioneer. He came to our pilot program in the early years at Mahogany Hill when it, um, yeah, back when we very first started, 2015. He then went into mainstream um, schooling for a year, in, or two years actually, kindergarten, new one, and then he moved across to the nature school when they founded. Um, so, yeah, he's sort of been part of the nature school journey from the very first day. So the, it's pretty special to have him going yeah. into their high school too. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to put some links uh, below this podcast, Lloyd, for people to, um, you know, to, to read more about you and connect with uh, what you do. Is that the best place for people to find? Yeah, look, I, um, I do have an Instagram account and um, I am on LinkedIn for those that are interested in more of a professional connection, I guess. Um, but yeah, I can send you those links if you'd like to put them at the bottom of your um, podcast page. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that for sure. Um, I've, as we've done many, many times, I've, I've feel like I could keep talking to you all day. I love talking to you about your projects, about uh, all the stuff that you're doing in education. Um, you're an inspiration to me, Lloyd, and I'm, you know, proud to be associated with you and. Um, love hearing about what you're getting up to all the time so thanks for spending some time with us this afternoon and, and sharing that with my community oh you're very welcome andrew thanks for inviting me and sorry it's taken me so long to <laughs> reply but <laughs> we got there so thanks we got there thanks lloyd and there you have it my catch-up chat with lloyd godson we have been talking about doing that interview for well over 12 months now and uh, I'm actually really happy that it uh, happened to be episode 70 and we we're able to celebrate that milestone with a chat with someone who I highly respect and admire. Now we talked in that episode about design thinking and doing lots of projects and by the time this interview goes live you'll have one week left to jump on board with Project Space. Project Space, if you're not familiar with it, is a project-based learning that positions your child to thrive 
think creatively and thrive in the dynamic world of the 21st century and explore their own interests through project-based learning. I've also got one last webinar. So the cart will be closing at the end of the week for Project Space, but I'm doing one last webinar, the five secrets to prime your child to learn and succeed no matter the circumstances. And that's a fantastic webinar if you are in lockdown or if your kids are homeschooling for any other reason and you want to help them to bring out their best. Now, you may have a child like Lloyd who is a little bit creative, a little bit eccentric, likes to do things differently, and you want to you know, foster that ingenuity. You want to foster their creativity and their entrepreneurial spirit. Then if that is you and your child, then Project Space is definitely going to be the right fit for them. So please go and check out the webinar. There'll be links uh, below wherever you're listening to this podcast or go and check out the Project Space page directly. Well, that's all from me for this week. Hope you are having a fantastic week. Bye for now.